Paul wrote the book of 1 Thessalonians to help the church learn to stand firm. And we're looking at that book together over these weeks as we think about standing firm. And helping us with that is our memory verses that I know you have been studying diligently and practicing at home and saying before each meal and reciting as you drive. Let's say our memory verses again. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I do hope that you're working on those because those are some verses that we need to have you know, not just, not just kind of remember that we might look up later, but we, those are verses we need to have. Uh, because uh, when you need them the most is when, when life surprises you. And you don't have time to think back. And you don't have time to, to, to look back in your little notebook from church and, and try to remember. It's stuff you need to have when life surprises you. So I, I want to encourage you to really memorize these. On the last Sunday of our series, we're going to take away the words and we're all going to be able to recite it together without the words on the wall. All right? Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Well, we have talked thus far about standing firm in faith, standing firm in suffering. And this morning, I want us to think together about standing firm in everyday life. Standing firm in everyday life. And I need to warn you ahead of time that this morning's message is kind of an experiment. I, I'm going to do things a little differently than, than I personally have ever done them. You're going to be my guinea pigs. Is that okay? Everybody willing to be guinea pig? Awesome. Here's, here's the deal. Normally when I preach, I look for ways that, that the text unfolds step by step. So point one is the first part of the text. Point two is the next part of the text, and it's linear. So the sermon outline also outlines the text. This week, I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled and tried to force this text into that box. I've been in that box for 40 years. I don't know why there might be a scripture that doesn't fit the way I want it to fit. But here's the deal. What I discovered was the text I want us to look at this morning doesn't, doesn't present itself in a linear way. One leads to two, leads to three. Instead, think of chapter three of 1 Thessalonians as a tapestry a tapestry that depicts a healthy church. And we're going to notice that in that tapestry that shows a healthy church, there are a few threads that run throughout the whole chapter. 
And we're going to actually look at four of those threads that run throughout the whole chapter. So it's not like verse one has this idea and verse two has this one, but you're going to see these four threads throughout the whole chapter. All right. So as we read and as we talk, think about these four things uh, this morning. Chapter three unveils for us, depicts for us a healthy church. And what makes that church healthy is they understand the value of community, the reality of affliction, the necessity of faith, and the power of love. Let me show you what I mean as we turn to chapter 3. We're going to begin right there at verse 1. What you need to know about the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, is that Paul established the church at Thessalonica on his missionary journey with Silas and part of the time Luke and almost all of the time Timothy. They, they were on this missionary journey together. They established the church at Thessalonica. Paul was only able to stay at that church a few weeks, however. Matter of fact, Acts says that he was in synagogue three weeks. So he may have been there longer if he skipped church, I guess. But he he was there for just a few weeks, and then he was persecuted. The the Jews who didn't like what he was saying riled up a bunch of folks in town, and they ran him out of town. He, he went from Thessalonica to Berea. Now, that was, uh, hopefully, it would have been far enough away to, to catch his breath and, and be safe. But the Jews who were in Thessalonica went, oh, followed him to Berea and stirred up the Jews there and got everybody stirred up there. So he got run out of town in Berea. He then goes to Athens. While he's at Athens, he sends Timothy, go back to Thessalonica and find out how they're doing. Paul says, man, I love those guys. Paul loved his church he, he, at Thessalonica. I shouldn't even say his church. Paul loved the church that he founded at Thessalonica. He loved the people there. He was proud of them. He wanted to know how they were doing. So Timothy, go back and check on them. Timothy comes back to Thessalonica. Then as he goes back to tell Paul what he learned, Paul had to move again, and they both wind up meeting in Corinth. And it is in Corinth that Paul writes these things. He writes this letter. Let's look at it beginning in chapter 3 at verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind in Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. You, you see, he, he says in his own testimony... I wanted to know how things were going, so I sent Timothy. Now, understand who Timothy is. He's my co-worker. He's my brother. We're connected in that way. And he, he speaks, as he does, he speaks of the value of 
community. Uh, let, let, let me see something real quick. Does anybody remember the TV show, The Lone Ranger? Does anybody remember the TV show? All right, now, how many of you remember the radio show? No, don't, don't tell us. That's okay. That's, that's all right. I, I get it. <laughs> the Lone Ranger. Boy, he was tough. The story we don't have time to get into, but he was separated from the other rangers. He kind of was on his own. And he knew how to handle things on his own. He was tough. The Lone Ranger. How many of you are born in Texas, or at least you claim Texas as your home? You claim to be a Texan, all right? Those of you born in Texas, or you claim to be a Texan, we've got something in our DNA. There's something cooked inside of us that says, hey, Texans are like the Lone Ranger. We're tough, we're independent, can't nobody tell us nothing if we don't want to listen. I can do everything I need to do by myself. I put my own boots on. I got it. I don't need you. Friends, it's cooked in us. And because of that, you and I as believers need to be aware of that tendency and we need to intentionally connect with brothers, sisters, co-workers. Paul says, I'm sending you Timothy. He's my brother. He's our co-worker. Why was Paul sending Timothy anyway? Because Paul wanted to stay connected to the church in Thessalonica. Friends, part of, part of church is that connection. We are community. We are called to uplift and fortify one another. We're, we're called to encourage one another to walk through this life together, especially in times of hardship. In my job, I often hear people say, me and God got this. I don't need the church. I'm a Texan. I got it. I talk to God when I'm outside in my backyard. I don't need the church. Friends, I'm so glad you're here this morning. Because you're here this morning, that tells me that you get it. God called us into family. He adopted us into family. Scripture also says that we are living stones and, and he plans to put those living stones in connection with one another so that together we build the church. He always intended his people to be people of community. It's vitally important that we remember to stay connected with one another. That's who we are in him. It's the value of of community, but did you notice they also referred to the reality of affliction there uh, when he says that he sent Timothy, our brother, God's co worker in the gospel, to establish and exhort you in faith. He, he, he not only wants them to get started, but he knows that it's got a, there's a continual effort to exhort you, to teach you, so that you can learn the necessity of faith. 
because the reality of affliction is stuff's going to happen and you're going to need that faith. See how much Paul loves his church. That's the power of love working through. So you see what I mean? These, these four themes, not only in these first two verses, but these four themes are going to be developed side by side by side throughout the chapter. Look at verse 3. He says, I'm sending Timothy to establish and exhort. By the way, exhort means to teach. Teach you in faith, verse 3, that no one be moved by these afflictions. I love you. Community is valuable. Affliction is a reality. So there is a necessity of faith. You need to have your faith strengthened because you're going to have to face afflictions. That no one be moved by these afflictions. That word for moved is a fun word because it's the word that was used of a dog wagging his tail. It's moving. And Paul says, I don't want any of you guys to be moved back and forth like that, like a dog wags his tail. I don't want you to, to, to go side to side, back and forth, if, and, yes, no, yeah, but. He says, I want you to be able to stand firm when the affliction comes. He speaks of affliction in the present tense, in the here and now. He says, these afflictions, because that is the human experience, is it not? We've been raising hands this morning. Let's do one more time. How many have not had any problems in the last week? No problems over the last week. This is our life. Some of us had minor problems. Some of us have major problems. But afflictions are a part of who we are in this fallen world. And so he says, I want, you to, I, I want Timothy to be able to... to exhort you to teach you to establish you to strengthen you because these afflictions are a reality i don't want you to be moved back and forth but i want you to be able to stand firm in the face of hardship first corinthians chapter 15 at verse 58 he says therefore my beloved brothers be steadfast immovable don't let the world make you flop back and forth like a dog wagging his tail. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Yes, it's hard, but it's not worthless. Yes, serving the Lord is hard, but it's not in vain. So stand fast, stand firm, immovable, always abounding in your service to him. Again, in Ephesians chapter 6 at verse 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He says that the enemy is going to come and try to push you back and forth He's going to try to get you to move like that dog wagging his tail, but you stand firm. We hear the value of community, the reality of affliction, the necessity of faith, and the power of love all working together throughout. 
Jesus even addressed this in the parable he told. I referenced it maybe last week, maybe a week before. But you remember the story Jesus tells the parable of the, of the guy who's throwing seed, right? Some of the seed lands on the path. And since the path has been, has been walked on so much, it's kind of hard ground. So the seed doesn't settle in. It just kind of sits there for a little bit and the birds come by and pick it up and take it off. Some of the seed lands over here where it's, it's rocky ground. And what it means by rocky ground is just under the surface there's rock. And so the soil is really thin. And so the, the plants pop up for a little bit, but they, they aren't able to grow roots. And because they can't grow roots, yeah, they pop up for a little bit, but then the sun dries them out and the wind blows them over and they're gone. Some of the seed falls over here where the weeds are. And as it tries to grow up the weeds, choke it out and then there's some that falls on the good soil and there it takes root and it grows strong and healthy I want us to think about that seed that fell on the rocky ground because it pops up for a bit it just doesn't it's not able to take to, to take root and to and to grab on and to grow healthy and because of that it says the wind came the sun came and it dried it up later Jesus gets with his disciples and he's explaining to them the 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 meaning of that parable and as he's explaining it to them, he says in Matthew 13, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And then look what the wind and the sun are. When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Paul wants to make sure that's not happening at Thessalonica. He said, you know, when I brought you the word, you, you received it. We read that in, in previous chapters. You received it. You accepted it. You built your life on it. You even started to share it with others around you. And I just want to make sure that you're standing firm that the roots have been able to grow, that affliction is not able to, to knock you over. And so he says in verse 3, that no one be moved by the afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know, verse 5, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. He says, I wanted to make sure that you were aware that when the, the affliction comes that is a part of our lives, that you were ready. And that is, by the way, the message that Timothy gets to take back to Paul that they were indeed ready. They had indeed stood strong. 
But now I, I want us to back up a little bit here because there, there's, there's a piece there that I want to make sure you heard. At the end of verse 3, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For what? He's talking about affliction. He says, I want you to know that we are destined for affliction. What a strange thing to say. The truth is, folks, that everyone faces hardship and affliction. Everyone. But the Christian knows that his suffering has a purpose. The believer knows that she doesn't have to go through hard times for no reason. How do we know that? Romans 8, 28. Everybody's favorite. Let me show you NIV. Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. You see, we're all, everybody faces affliction. And you can either do that without Christ so that your suffering is just suffering. Or you can face that affliction as a child of God, as a believer, a disciple of Christ, and know that God is going to use those afflictions, those bad things. Somehow, he's going to use those for your good. Either you can suffer for no purpose, or you can follow Christ and know that God is going to use the stuff to do something good in your life for your own good. As we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. That's the way most of us are familiar with that verse. I want to show it to you in the, in a, in the ESV, the English Standard Version, the one that I preach from, because I think this is actually closer to the Greek and it's a stronger point. Look at the order. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. That's the key. That when we, when we commit our lives to him, he takes the junk of this fallen world that we have to go through and he, he uses it for his purpose. That's what it means to be destined. It means to be appointed for a purpose. And so, yes, we are destined to this affliction, but it now has a purpose. And so the value of community is we need one another because we have to go through this stuff. The reality of affliction is it's going to hit all of us. And the necessity of faith is that's how we get through it. Because when we love God, we know that he can use those things for our good. And, that, and we express that to one another because of the power of love. We love each other enough to remind each other of that truth. Now jump back down to where we were at verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Look at what encourages Paul. 
He says, Timothy came to us. He brought us good news of your faith and love. You remember not long ago, we talked about the, the, the three essentials of the faith, the three essentials of Christianity, faith, hope, and love. Now, Paul says, I know you're the real deal because Timothy just reported to me and he brought me good news of your faith and your love. It's interesting, isn't it, that Paul is not encouraged because he heard good news about nickels and noses. So often, that's how we evaluate a church, nickels and noses. How's your budget? How many people in the pews? So often, that's how we evaluate a church. You're growing, and by growing, they mean you got more people this year than you did last year? What encourages Paul? He never once mentions how many people are involved. What encourages him is that he looks at the church, he looks at this tapestry of a healthy church, and he sees that there is faith and love being developed, being grown. And that's encouraging to him, and it is to us as well. And so in seven, he says, you know, in, in all our distress and affliction, we've been comforted through your faith. We've been comforted and connected with community. In your community, I see that faith and that love coming together. And man, that's good stuff. Young woman named Linda was traveling alone up the rutted and rugged highway from Alberta to the Yukon. Linda didn't know that you, you don't travel in that area in a rundown Honda Civic. So she set off where only four-wheel drives normally go. The first evening, she found a hotel room in the mountains near a summit, and she asked the hotel clerk for a 5 a.m. wake-up call so she could get an early start. She didn't understand why the clerk looked at her kind of funny when she asked for that early morning wake-up call, but she awoke. When they woke her up at 5, she got up and she saw that early morning fog that shrouds the mountaintops every day that time of year in the fall. Not wanting to look foolish, she got up and went to breakfast. There she met two truckers who invited her to join them as they sat and ate their breakfast. One said, well, where are you headed? She answered, I'm going to Whitehorse. They said, in a little civic? No, you're not. This, this pass is dangerous in weather like this, in this fog. She said, well, I'm determined. I'm going to do it. She must have been a Texan. <laughs> then I guess we're just going to have to hug you, the trucker said. <laughs> Linda drew back. She said, no, you're not going to touch me. The trucker said, not like that. When truckers say we're going to hug you, we mean... We'll put one truck in front of you and one in the rear. And that way we'll get you through the mountains. All that foggy morning, Linda followed two red dots in front of her and had the reassurance of a big escort behind as they made their way safely through the mountains. Caught in a fog in our dangerous 
passage through life, we need to be hugged. We need fellow Christians who know the way and can lead safely ahead of us. And we need others behind gently encouraging us along. We too can pass safely. Friends, we need one another. It's that simple. And so Paul says, man, I'm so excited to see faith and love growing in you and that community is valuable. He goes on then, verse 8. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. He says, now we live. What he means is, is I've been reinvigorated. I, I feel like I've come back to life. He's basically been, been run off and beat up town after town after town. And now he says, oh, a fresh bread. I feel alive again just knowing that you guys are standing firm. It's interesting that he wrote to that church in Corinth where he was staying when he wrote this letter. He wrote to that church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 16, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Stand firm in the faith because there is a reality of affliction. That means there's the necessity of faith. Verse 9. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? What am I most grateful for? Verse 10. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. He says, I can't, I, what am I thankful for? I'm thankful for your faith, for your growth, and I can't wait to see you again. He understood that value of community. He couldn't wait to see them again. He understood the reality of affliction, that this is a part of life in a fallen world. And for believers, that affliction is an appointment. God allowed it because he could use it. He understands the necessity of faith. That's why he can't wait to be with them again because he's so proud of them because of their faith. It's a necessity just to get through. And the power of love. That together we can get through the deepest fogs. Jesus told his disciples... This is how the world's going to know you're mine when you have love one for another. 